Welcome to the True Vine Podcast. Wherever you are listening, we hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and brings perspective that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Thank you, everyone. You may be seated. Thank you so much. I am so honored to be in this pulpit today. It is such a high honor to be trusted by my pastor and my father in the gospel um, here today. I honor Pastor Durant and Sister Durant. They have their thumbprint on my life. And I do go to other places and do other things. And when people compliment me, it's always a reflection of how I've been trained. And kind of I thought about when he was talking about Pastor Mark's parents and there was somebody in the formative years. And this is my, in, in the ministry, this is my mom and dad. And they've corrected me and they've disciplined me and they've more importantly modeled this behavior in front of me. And I honor both of them today. Um, they're amazing people. I've known them since I'm, I'm just going to say this. I'm 40 years old. I know that's not really kosher for women to talk about their age, but I've met them when I was 13. And I just want to say they are true blue Christian people. They're the real deal. And I'm so blessed and honored to have them in my life. I also just want to recognize my husband without him. I couldn't do what I do. He, we've been married for 20 years, and his love ministers to me, and he's shown me what love is, and I love him very much. I also want to honor my parents that are here today, brother and sister Savage. Um, my dad, I've, I've always prayed, and I still pray for God to put my father's servant heart in my heart, and I still that's still my goal. I've not, I've not arrived in any way, shape, or form, but over the course of my life, that is my goal, and I thank God for godly parents. My, Some of you may not know, thank you. Some of you may not know that Sister Mary is my bonus mom. My mom passed away, and um, she is an amazing, I made a list of what I wanted for my dad, and she blew that list up and tore it up because she was more than what I ever, ever asked for. She's an angel. She's grandma to my kids, and I honor her. And I want to thank Sister Zuniga. I don't know if she's here today, but she's become a grandmother to me, and she prays for me every day. And I, I just want to give honor to who honors do in my life. And I want to say a prayer for us. I, I want you to know that what happened here earlier, I was like, this is, God is so good. He's so, he does things so well because you got a taste of what I'm talking about. And if God would have decided to just stop right there, I would have been completely fine with that because that's the end product. And I know some of you today might have been in the back going, I want to be a part of what's going on up there. I want to know what's going on. Well, we're going to talk about that. And we're going to give you another opportunity to be a part of what was going up on up here earlier. Amen. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your spirit, God. And mostly I thank you for your word. I thank you for these people here today and this family of God. I pray, Lord Jesus, as I share my heart, God, that you would open up the hearts and minds of your people, Jesus, to feel the love of God and to feel the presence of God. Lord, anoint my mouth, anoint my mind, Jesus. Use me today, Lord, for, the, for your service, God. I humbly pray in Jesus' name, amen. As many of you know, um, and some may not, that Jesus Christ died for your sins. If, if it wasn't for his blood, there would be no remission of sins. Hebrews is a book that's completely clear about Jesus had to be the, the replacement for us. He was the sinless sacrifice. And without that blood and without you understanding that without his blood and his death on the cross, you cannot be saved. 
That is the only reason that we live. That's the reason that we are alive. That's why we have hope. Everything rests on that act. He had, God had to robe himself in flesh and be sinless and step in our place. If he had sinned, it would not have worked. It would have not have been an exchange. So his sinless life plus his death, his willingly laying down his life, covers our sins. But then that happens in the, in the New Testament. But what I, the scripture that I want to uh, start with today is Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. And so Jesus Christ has died on the cross, and Paul has come into Christianity from Judaism. And it says here, Now it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. These are followers. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, On the contrary, we have not even heard if there is a Holy Spirit. He said, into what, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands upon him, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. These were about 12 men in all. Amen. As, so what I, the, the point of giving you this verse is that, yes, you have to believe absolutely that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, right? But have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe that? Amen. As many of you know, I am a marriage and family therapist. I've been practicing for 16 years. I've worked in settings of group homes. I've worked in clinics that had retreated homicidal, suicidal, psychotic children and victims of trauma. I've worked in comprehensive high school settings. I've worked in special education in the public school system. And I've had my own private practice for five years. Helping families is my ministry. It's what I do. It's how I make a living. And it's extremely fulfilling. But I say all that to say this. Therapy is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Amen. Therapy is like a cast on a leg. Nobody says to somebody else who has a cast on the leg, wow, that cast really healed you. Nobody says that. It wouldn't even cross your mind. Nobody actually, nobody says, you don't need that cast. Take that off. Just take it off. You don't need to be doing that. Just take it off, right? Therapy is just a tool, okay? So let's not put it on a pedestal and say everybody needs it. I'm glad if it, were, it worked for me, it worked for you, that's wonderful, okay? So let's not put it on a pedestal and say it's the answer, but not, let's not bash it down and say that it's never needed ever, Okay, so this is a tool in God's toolbox that sometimes he uses for people to help to get them where they need to go. And there's nothing wrong with that. Amen. Okay, so something I want to lay out before I start really get into what I'm talking about is I want to talk about the soul, the spirit, and your emotions. Your soul is that thing inside of you that will live somewhere for eternity. Your soul will never die. My kids are five and n almost nine, and I have not talked to them about hell yet. I don't think it's time, but I am planting in their minds, you have a soul, and your soul will live somewhere forever. And that's something I want. I want that eternal perspective put in their mind from a very, very young age. It's very, very important. Now let's talk about your spirit. My, now, if I'm wrong, Pastor, please grab this out of my hand and say that is not true, and I will honor that, and it won't even be awkward for me. But it might be for you guys, but it won't be for me. So the spirit, I, I have concluded the spirit is basically two things. It is your attitude in conflict, 
and it is your motives. Okay? So the word of God, that, so the test, so think of someone with diabetes, okay? Someone with diabetes who doesn't want to check their numbers, they say, well, I eat right, I feel good. The doctor would say, well, your numbers have been. I don't know. That's like your spirit. You're not the final test if your spirit is right, okay? It's the word of God, and it's the man of God, okay? They're the final test to see if your spirit's right. I've had people talk to me and say, well, I didn't come with a spirit of rebellion. Well, rebellion doesn't happen until there's conflict. So you may not be approaching with a spirit of rebellion, but when conflict happens and you can't hear no and you don't understand that, that can't, it blows your mind and you can't figure that, that's your spirit. That's a, that's a flag that you need to maybe be getting in the word of God a little bit more. And that's okay. We all have to check our spirit for the rest of your life. While you're on this earth, you need to be watching out for your spirit. But then we go to your emotions. Your damaged emotions are just that. They're damaged emotions. And I want to say this to somebody because I feel like it's very needed the level of damage you have in your emotions is no reflection on your love for God. Okay? It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's part of who you are as a person. Just like Pastor was just talking. It's exactly what he was just talking about. Your emotions are something that have to be taken care of, but it's not a reflection on how much you love Jesus. Amen. Okay, so... The, the crux of what we're talking about today, though, is hope. And hope is an essential part of therapy. It's actually an essential part of the healing process at all. But what does hope mean? We kind of use hope like we use the word love. You know, I love your dress. I love my children. I love my husband. We say things like, I hope it doesn't rain today. In the past two years, we've said this a lot. I hope I don't get sick. I hope it's not COVID. I hope, right? It's, that's how we kind of use it. But and then last week we were saying, I hope the 49ers win. But anyways, I was hoping that. That was something I did hope. But uh, I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. I was, okay. It's basically, it's basically wishful thinking. But Christian hope is not a subjective attitude. It's not simply positive thinking or looking on the bright side. Hope is also not a guarantee that nothing bad will happen. But it's the assurance that God is with us no matter what. Okay? Hope that is defined in Scripture is more than a robust wish. It's more fixed and sure than a vague longing. It carries the idea of delayed I was like, tomato's going to get thrown at me. <laughs> Delayed, but guaranteed fulfillment. It's the kind of assurance that something set in motion by God will in due time come to fruition. Just like the farmer sows in hope that the seed, though buried, will produce sure crops. Similarly, the scripture grounds the concept of hope in the nature of who God is. Sister Graham, I mean, Sister Katie, can you please put up? Thank you. Um. Okay, so I wanted to talk about this today. Amen. So, amen, amen. So it ground in the it's the nature of who God is. He, it, what God has done, right? So our past. Let's look at our testimony. Let's look at the elders of the church who tell us God did thus in the so. Let's take that in and, and cultivate our hope, right? God, hope is grounded in our knowledge of the character of God, His promises. There are seven thousand eight hundred and seventy-four promises in the Bible, and every single one of them are yours. Amen. Throughout Scripture, it's stressed repeatedly that relationship to and with God is the ultimate grounding of hope. So here in this little picture, I wanted to... So this is seed of hope, okay? And under there, we have a relationship with God. That's the soil. 
okay, that we plan our hope in, okay? And the things that cultivate that is like praying in the Holy Ghost. That's what we did today, praying in the Holy Ghost, reading our Bible, getting into the Word of God, studying it as much as we can, and being with the family of God. But this is something else, that big red red letter word at the top. Let's, uh, uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Romans 5 and 3. We also exult. That means we are elated in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. This is the ability to remain under tremendous weight and pressure without succumbing or breaking down. Proven character, the Greek word simply means that proving, like proving a metal, purity, your motives, purifying your motives. So, and then, and to proven character is hope. So that, think about this, ag lesson. Okay, when I was younger and my grandfather, my dad's dad, he liked to plant. He liked to, he had a garden. He lived in L.A., but he had this space that older people went to. And he took me there and he would plant stuff. I don't even remember what it was. But the bottom line is I remember the first day he told me what was in fertilizer. Isn't that like a, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, that's disgusting. Do tribulations feel good? Do they smell good? Are they something that we... We look at if, when you go, when you're in the fourth grade or whatever, how old you are, and you, they, they explain to you, this is how we plant, and this is what fertilizer is made out of. Every kid's like, oh, that's disgusting, right? That's disgusting. So the tribulation, so that's like the fertilizer. That's what I'm trying to say to you. If you want a healthy, rich walk with God, if you want a sure foundation, if you want people to look to you for strength. So I know that the plant got cut off at the top, but basically that's the result. People can look to you for strength. The tribulations have to be in the soil or it's not going to be good enough or it's not going to be strong enough. That's part of it. Okay, so part, so this right here, when I, I put right there, secure relationship with God, what is under hope? It's a secure relationship with God. So this is what I wanted to also bring to you is security is something that has to go underneath your hope for your hope to grow, for that hope to become more than wishful thinking, for that hope to be something that's assured, that's that guaranteed delayed fulfillment. That's how you get there, more than a mental ascent, okay? So emotions are part of that. When we first, emotions are built when we first start out as babies, okay? So our neurons, scientists have found our neurons and our synapse are formed. Our brain is actually developed, not just by someone feeding us when we cry, not by someone just changing us, but, and just even holding us, but looking in our eyes and reflecting our feelings back to us. That is really, really important. I, there's this baby in this church. His name is Joseph, and he's in the back right now. I don't know if he's asleep, but he is the absolute cutest thing. And you should see when he sees his mom and he looks in her eyes, the elation. It's got to be that biblical Greek word. It's like elation. It's absolute overjoy. Well, and that just sounds cute, right? But really what's happening, his brain is developing when, he, when that happens. So you think of the babies in orphanages back in Russia, and they did those studies where, yeah, those babies, maybe they were changed and fed, but nobody, and you have to lift a baby to change and feed a baby you have to lift them up but who's looking in their eyes who's and what it looks like is oh the baby's sad oh you know you're reflecting you're a mirror back to your baby but see in our society we kind of think when you grow up you don't need that anymore you know that goes away but really what studies have actually shown kids are are kids are operating what's called the right brain okay so your right brain's your emotional brain this is the the spirit of the law how things make you feel your subjective experience so babies right how do they communicate to you with emotions 
Okay, as kids' brains develop, their right brains, some kids' brain, right brains are more lit. They're more active than other kids. So we have shy kids, anxious kids, kids that are afraid of a lot of things. Their right brain is more active, and the left brain is developing very, very slowly. That's what happens. This is where we have lists, logic. This is the letter of the law. A lot of men, not all, and some women live in the left brain. This is where they live. So the, our first five years of marriage, I heard this a lot. Why are you crying? <laughs> right? Okay, it's like, this makes no sense to me, right? And we've all said that to our kids too. But neurobiology backs this up. Dan Siegel, he's a neurobiologist. He's not a Christian man. And these are things I was practicing in my practice. Some of you that know me in this church, I've talked a little bit about this to pastor, about emotional joining and how important that is. And I was practicing this and using this in therapy and seeing results. And I would practice with people that didn't acknowledge God and they would get better. And I know therapy works for a lot of people. They're not completely set free. I, when we talked about your soul's going to live somewhere, they're, I mean, they're not necessarily saved, right? But they got emotionally better, and they were meeting goals. Well, I found this stuff later and, and thought, oh, it's science. It really works, you know? So they've done brain scans on kids that were extremely anxious, and their right brain is really lit up. And they have the parents do what's called scaffold parenting, which is joining emotionally with a child and understanding while walking them through things they're afraid of, okay? So they do these scans on these kids that are super anxious. So this would be an example. A kid is like, I don't want to go in the pool. And the parent, you know, I'm, I'm not a perfect mother, and I know all this stuff. And I still make mistakes, okay? I'm just telling you right now. But as a parent, depending on what day you're having, right, you can either say, if you're feeling maybe nice that day, you might say, well, then you don't have to go in the pool at all. It's okay. Don't go in the pool. Or you might say, you know what? If you're just going to be scared of everything, that's not going to work. So let's do this. Right? And throw them in the pool. Okay? So those two opposite extreme responses don't help. Kids have to be connected right brain to right brain before their left brain can start to develop. You have to be heard, felt. You have to be emotionally joined in the same space before someone can start talking to you about why it's not working for you, what you should be doing better, how you could have gotten a different result, okay? Have you ever talked to somebody whose brain is, right brain is overly reacting, you're not getting through to them? It's because you're not joining with that, okay? So they did these scans on these kids and these parents. For example, the child that's afraid to go swimming, the mom would say, well, I'll go in the pool with you. Even though the other parents are hanging out, drinking iced tea, having fun, all the kids are jumping in the pool without their mom, the mom puts her pride aside and says, I'll go in the pool with you. And they get in the pool, and the kid gets water up the nose. And, oh, I know, that's tough, honey. Get water. Well, the kid will start swimming away, coming back, swimming away, coming back. Swimming's fun. This is great. I love this. Those kids, over time, they do the scans. They end up being amazing leaders. They do very, very well. This, their, brain is no, their right brain is no less active, but their left brain's developed. So they're able to control the emotion that's going on the right brain. But this is all done through development, usually in childhood. Having a situation, when you have a child bringing a feeling to you, it's very, very easy when you don't understand it to basically invalidate it. It's very easy to do that. So we can do that two ways. We can do that by offering a distraction. Don't cry. Here's some chocolate. Right? That may not be the best thing, but what that can contribute to is addiction later. Not modeling how to be in the moment. You're not modeling that it's okay not to be okay. Not modeling that you have faith that this feeling will pass. And I can sit with that. Or we do the other thing, which is, if you're going to cry, you're not getting anything next time. 
right? And we, we've all done that to our kids. Every, we're all raised by humans, so that means we're all a little messed up. That means we've all made mistakes. That, that's, a, that's okay because your brain can repair. I heard someone say late, recently, a psychologist, I thought, this is so true. Remember those uh, commercials a long time ago that said, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, and the, it would sizzle. You know, can you unfry an egg? No, that's the point, right? Not saying it's okay to do drugs, but I am saying, though, your brain is, it has plasticity. We've learned that in science over the years. Your brain can be, you have neurons in your brain, and you have neural pathways, and they can change. Okay? So there's hope in that. All right? So what ends up happening to us, though, when, we're, when we go through life, a lot of times, especially in the Christian world, I see a lot of different people in my practice. I see people from a lot of LDS people. I see a lot of United Pentecostal people, and I see a lot of other type of people. What I found was most common with Christians is them shaming themselves for their feelings, right? So if you've been shamed for your feelings in the past, if you've been told your feelings aren't real, or you've been told your feelings aren't valid, or you've been told your feelings shouldn't be, a lot of times what we do is we see, and sometimes we get the message in our mind that we should be over this by now, right? And we see we start shaming ourselves. And I would, this is what I hear a lot. If someone's feeling depressed, they don't, they're not even trying to get to the root of why they're depressed. They're just mad that they're depressed. Why do I still feel like this? Why does this still bother me? What's going on here? Shame. Well, before shame becomes guilt. So guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am something bad, okay? And when you get in your mind because you've told yourself that negative thoughts for so many years, it builds a neural pathway. Like when you brush your teeth and you, have you ever done this? You brush your teeth and you go around and go, did I brush my teeth? And you're feeling, oh, okay, I brushed it because I wasn't even thinking about it. I've done it thousands of times, so I don't have to think about it. Well, same thing when you shame yourself. When you shame yourself, you actually squelch the dopamine in your brain. That's the hormone that helps you grow, have energy to, to learn, have energy to actualize, to create, to function, to think, to hire. So if you're shaming yourself and you've been shaming yourself for so long, the dopamine in your brain is going to not be there so that you can learn and grow. Does this make sense to anybody? Does that make sense? It's actually a, a neurological thing in your brain. You see, God already knows neurology. That's the thing I just love. It's so, many, so funny in psychology, all these theories over the years at work or neurobiologists, they'll come up with things and they'll kind of promote it for a while. And in about seven years, it'll piddle out because it's not biblically based. And the stuff that's like, oh, we've been practiced for 50 years and this works. It's like, yeah, that's in the Bible already. Always. Every, every, every single time. So in Romans chapter 8, the, the word of God says, there's therefore now no condemnation who those, for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Who walk after the, don't walk after the flesh, but walk after the spirit. So God already knows how damaging guilt and shame is. And he's already covered you, right? So he dies on the cross for what you did, the bad thing, your guilt, the bad things you did, right? But he also covers you in your shame by giving you words to speak over your life, right? So you can replace those negative thoughts and start putting them in your heart, okay? So Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, For while we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For hardly one will, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps a good man, someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So before you were looking for him, before you even knew what to do, Christ died for you. He showed up for you emotionally in a way and physically in a way, not just emotionally. He showed up. Have you ever had somebody say, oh, I care, but then they don't show with their actions? 
you know? And there's that saying, your actions are speaking so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. So that, that's what that is. But Jesus Christ showed up for you physically. God robed himself in flesh, and he came down before you were even looking for him. And he did the ultimate thing that no other human would be willing to do. So the Bible says that people will barely ever lay their life down for somebody who's righteous, right, and good, let alone people that are not good. But Jesus Christ laid his life down, right, for everybody. Amen. Okay, so in Romans chapter 8, I'm going to go down to verse 18. For I consider, the suffer, I consider the suffering of this present time not to be worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation awaits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 22. For we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, when we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. When, in this broken world, before Jesus comes back or you're glorified, you're always, we're, we're broken. This isn't like Snapchat, TikTok, you know, kind of stuff, okay? This isn't like, this, this is kind of stuff that, meaning we're always going to have humanness, things inside of us, things that we struggle with, that we battle with. Through your life, you're going to understand as you get older that God starts peeling back layers, does anybody know what I'm talking about? God starts peeling back layers because you're a human being. And when, you are, when you're younger and you're in a situation where you didn't have a choice, meaning it could have been a loss, like it could have been a death of a parent, it could have been a physical, that you physically felt unsafe, that you weren't heard, that you felt cornered often, our body, our parasympathetic nervous system will hold on to memory to protect you from things happening in the future so you're not trapped in the future. Okay, so this is what this looks like. When you say, why do I feel like that? Why am I having this negative reaction? I don't like that. That scares me. That bothers me. Why does that bother? Your body's waking up. Your body's telling you, huh? Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean that's wisdom. That just means your body is doing its natural thing to protect you. Does that make sense? But this verse specifically talks about that. Romans chapter 8 is about the brokenness of humanity. And that humanity waits for redemption. We wait our whole life for redemption until we meet Jesus. We're constantly waiting for redemption. And that God himself understands that. You're not crazy. That's what I'm trying to say. You're not crazy. Specifically, while we're on this earth, we'll never be perfect. But there is a purpose. Let's go down to verse 24. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? Don't we want to fix it all the time? Don't we? Even there in therapy, it's people say, how long is this going to take? Wow, what a loaded question. I, I don't know. It depends on what's going on and how hard you work. But, but in our bodies, we really want results so bad. This is why drugs is so, so many people use drugs, right? This is what, every time you don't want to be present because it's too overwhelming and it's something you don't want to face. This is where pornography addiction comes from. Shopping addictions come from. Gambling addiction, all other types of addiction. Addiction to Facebook, addiction to your phone, addiction to everything that you don't want to be here in this moment. It's too overwhelming, okay? All these addictions come because we, we want the fix-it mentality, okay? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit helps our weakness. We don't know what we should pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
Amen. When you see these people at the altar, sometimes you see people, oh, they're moaning and they're groaning. and they're, That's in the word of God. God is touching their heart. God is getting down to the layers, really what he's doing. Sometimes there's healing. Sometimes it's just holding. Sometimes God puts you in a holding pattern because the lesson hasn't been learned yet because he needs you to understand that you need to lean on him. You need to be in those places in your prayer closet, and you need to be those places in the altar where God is just holding you. I trust you with my pain. God, I trust you with what I don't understand. I physically feel it in my stomach, God. I feel the tension in my heart, God. I don't get it. And he holds you like a good parent would do with a child and says, like, honey, I'm here. I'm here. I love you. I'm not leaving you. Amen. Sometimes as parents, we can't fix it for our kids. That's because God wants them to understand it's okay not to be okay. And things don't just go away sometimes. And that's all right. Because what God does and what he says in this verse is that God uses all things. It works together for our good. This is in the same chapter. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. There's hope in you, God. There's hope in you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hope that doesn't disappoint. Praise God. Lord Jesus. God is good and he uses trials so that we will learn to enjoy his love. Have you read in the Bible, Lord, you are my reward. In Psalms, you're, this is what he's talking about. I have not, everything's been stripped from me. My identity, my, what I have, what I thought was good in my life. They, some people have been in these places. I know I have where everything's been stripped from you and everything you thought was good and all the plans you wrote down on paper and it didn't work out and you just want to light a match to it because it doesn't even matter anymore. And God sits with you and he holds you and he becomes your portion. He becomes your joy. He becomes your strength. It should, this all starts with knowing that God shows up for us when we can't show up for ourselves. That every, so what you're feeling today in this, I was so thankful, Pastor Mark, thank you for ushering in the presence of God to give these people a taste of what I'm talking about. I didn't, wouldn't have mind if the whole service just stopped right there because that's the point. When I see people on the altar and they're touching God and God, I, I just can see him in front of them, holding them and being there and saying, I see you, I feel you, I'm right here with you. And that's happening. That's happening. It's neuroscience. Dr. Dan Siegel says he stands up. He's, he's a great, seems like a great scientist or, or medical doctor, but he says the most, um, every single mental illness, I believe this, the core of every mental illness is not that, not being in reality with someone holding and that validation and that emotional presence is the healing. This is a man that doesn't even know God. He's asking parents and therapists to be that for people. Okay. I'm telling you, we've got it. I almost named this the secret sauce. We've got it. I'm telling you, it's right here. If the church would step up, amen, prayer and fasting and us praying for one another and being present with one another, we probably wouldn't need therapists anymore, honestly. I'm telling you, it is so very, very important. Amen. Would you all stand right now? I want to give an opportunity in the service. If you saw what was going on here earlier or something I said resonated with you,
I, I want to give you an opportunity to come back to the altar. I want to give you an opportunity to let our staff and other people in this church that know how to touch God to sit with you and to help you reach that place in God that God's spirit can fill you and you can speak with other tongues because that is the secret sauce. I'm telling you right now, that place that you can find in God is so, so very important. Let's lift our hands right now. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. I love you, Lord God. I worship you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, because you are the answer, God. You are the key, Lord Jesus. Everything is found in you, oh God. Everything, Lord Jesus, that we need is at your feet, Jesus. Lord, you really care, God. Other people may say they care, God, but you really care. Lord, you're there for us, God, like nobody has ever been there before, Jesus. Lord, you say in your word, God, that you empathize with us, God. You're not a high priest that cannot empathize, God, with what we feel, Lord Jesus. But you know, God, you know what it is to be deserted. You know what it is to be rejected, God. You know what it is for people to not believe you, Jesus. You know what it is to speak and nobody wants to hear, God. You understand what it's like to be physically abused. You understand what it's like, God, for nobody to have your back. You understand, God, what it is for your best friend or somebody close to you to stab you in the back like Judas did, God. You know what it's like to be invalidated. Oh, God, you understand. I want to invite you to this altar right now. If you want the ministry of this church to pray with you, they would be more than willing, more than willing to sit with you and pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can visit our website or church app if you would like to give. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe, like and share it with your friends, and tag us on social media because we want to witness with you what God is doing in your life. Thank you, and God bless.